Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. You are intelligent. You make all the right decisions. You were smart before smart was cool, and you made it cool again. You have a wealth of knowledge, and you are so very clever. <laughs> I bet you already knew I was going to say that, you genius. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you hear you could save big when you switch to progressive. But I'm pretty sure you already knew that, too. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. HD Smartcast. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. And today I have with me Shobha Day. Hi, Shobha. Hey, hi, Manjula. So we're going to be talking about your new book, Lockdown Liaison. What is it? It's a book of short stories. I mean, it's, no, no, right? it's quite. It's a, it's a. It was a, launched as a series of books, the Lockdown okay. Liaisons. I wrote it during the lockdown. It got published during the lockdown, and it's a collection of short stories. There, there are six books in the series, so there are twenty-four stories in all. And it's now coming out as a paperback, which will be on the 28th of July. So it will be the short stories compiled together in one volume. And it will still be called Lockdown Liaisons, but it will be now consolidated and a paperback. Okay. You know, you're kind of like dealing with a lot of issues that we are all thinking about and going through. So talk about that. Well, you know, when it started off, uh, it was uh, an expression of what I was observing, what I was experiencing, a sense of confusion, a sense of panic, a sense of anger. Mm -hmm. There was uh, rage. There was fear. There were all kinds of things. And in the process, I started something called the Lockdown Chronicles, which was a daily blog, which Mm -hmm. I was on for 60 days nonstop. It was a very, very freewheeling kind of a blog, which I was putting up on Insta. And those were expressions, again, visually Mm -hmm. of uh, what I was uh, seeing around me more than anything else. And uh, what Mm -hmm. the whole lockdown was uh, sending out, the kind of messages and uh, panic reactions in some people, a sense of what are we going to do with our lives? What does social distancing mean? These were all very new terms. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the the chronicles to be optimistic and upbeat because there was a lot of despair around me. There was a lot of depression. There were issues that uh, the world uh, had never, ever had to deal with. It was unprecedented. The numbers across the world were staggering on every single day. There was a fresh statistic emerging, which was very discouraging. So the chronicles were optimistic and upbeat. And around the same time, I started to hear these voices inside my head. I know it sounds completely mad and lunatic, but it's exactly what happened. And uh, as a writer, I felt I can't let this moment pass. I can't let it go. I must start recording these voices and uh, writing the stories as they came to me. So it was a very organic process. At that time, I hadn't even thought of whether it could be published either digitally or now that the paperback is going to be coming out. It was just my desire to record and chronicle a very difficult time that the world was going through. That's how the story started. Hmm. And in the forward, you mentioned that the words are, you know, words are your security blanket and, uh, yes. and that, that you return to them. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, because it, uh, words have always been a security blanket in my life. When all else fails, you always have words is what I tell myself. So mm-hmm. I grabbed onto the words as they were emerging and the stories sort of formed themselves. A lot of it mm-hmm. had to do with being very receptive and tuned in to people and the world around me, the limited access that one had. But of course, there was uh, news, there was television, there was uh, uh, Twitter. So it wasn't as if we were living in some kind of an isolated bubble with no access to anything other than the prison that we were found ourselves in, in our homes. These were impressions that kept coming to me through what I was reading, through what I was hearing, through what I have experienced myself, what I was feeling. And words gave me a lot of comfort and the stories started to then have a form and a format. And I don't know how that started, but I decided that the way to link it all was using the first person narrative. And that worked very well because there were men's voices, there were women's voices, there were teenage voices, all of that. So it was that the commonality of a first person narrative, which also made it intense and very personal when you're writing it. It's uh, far more difficult to say, I felt this, I did that. Uh, This is what happened to me rather than say, and so, for example, Manjula went to her window and looked out, you know, it's uh, there's a distance in the third person voice. Yes. And, and you've managed to make, uh, you know, make it authentic, even when you're talking about a guy who's a you know, laborer on a construction site. Uh, that, that first person voice makes yes. that somehow it works. Yeah, thank you. Because it was uh, it's harder when it's something so completely outside your realm of experience. But mm. then I also feel that if you are a writer of fiction and if you're a keen observer of human beings, human nature, if uh, voices actually do speak to you, which they do to me, if characters mm-hmm. form uh, and they appear to you almost in, in a complete kind of a way, then as, as a writer of fiction, this should come very naturally to you if you have a sense of empathy, if you understand what another human being in completely different circumstances could possibly be feeling and you Mm -hmm. occupy that skin and try your best to be as authentic as possible because without authenticity there's nothing I mean you can't write anything Mm -hmm. without authenticity not even a column it has to ring true yeah and you know even in your column you've been very um wrong you know like captured the moment and in uh, and I think you're doing that with this series of short stories as well right I've tried to very much because, uh, you know, if you miss that beat, if you miss the au courant of life, then you kind of put yourself into a a different space, which is either not switched on. You have to know, you have to get the pulse right. Mm -hmm. And you cannot create that pulse. You've got to feel it and to feel it and then to be able to express it. That is very, very key. So I hope and... I hope that Au Courant voice uh, never leaves me because I find uh, things that are very immediate always far more exciting than anything that's gone behind me. The past doesn't interest me that much. I'm very much a creature of the moment and very, very alive to what is happening at that moment in whichever way, creatively or emotionally. I found that the stories kind of 
uh, explore things that all of us have been thinking about, you know, uh, domestic uh, sort of uh, friction when people are thrown together, you know, for like interminably and you never spent such a long time. And, you know, the frustrations of that, you brought that out, like the first story, you know, the woman is clearly very, uh, I mean, she's just lost her job, but she's of a certain strata, but she's still dealing with the same kind of things that, uh, you know, somebody in uh, maybe another story is dealing with, like the woman who has to have forced sex, yes. all these sorts of things. Yes. So talk about that, you know. You know, proximity has its... Uh upside but during the lockdown i think the downside is what everybody was finding extremely hard to deal with because mm-hmm. uh, intimacy took a huge hit during the lockdown mm-hmm. it's something that a generation of extremely busy people especially our urban lives being what they are with uh, younger people in their 30s and 40s having to deal with career issues uh, then the pressure of getting married at the right time, getting you know having your children at the right time, finding mm-hmm. that perfect balance, managing your family life, managing your uh, emotional life, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, boom, it's all gone. You know, there's stillness and there's just these hours and hours of enforced togetherness. Whereas mm-hmm. most young urban couples or even couples in uh, you know not uh, not urban big cities but in tier two tier three cities the pattern of life has changed and it's changed irrevocably everybody today is working in some form or the other they may be working from home or they may be working at proper like jobs where they have to commute and they actually don't spend much time with their partners at all uh, except on their annual vacations where also they're busy i think there's a story which talks about that that uh, even on that vacation, it's kind of a very forced intimacy. And most uh, young couples today prefer to go on vacations with other young couples and their children. So it's mainly, you know, for the happy family portraits on a beach where the nannies are carefully screened out of the shots and you pose with, you know, your kids making sandcastles, which you'd never, ever do in reality. And then you're at home and, you know, everybody's getting on everybody else's nerves. And definitely sex takes a backseat, for sure. People are just tired and angry and harassed. And, uh, you know, for a lot of young couples who have been talking to as well, the last thing the woman wants is to have sex with her husband during the lockdown. I mean, a lot of women, I think I've talked about uh, a detox for sex in one of the stories, which women are happily saying cheers to on all their Zoom talks and Zoom parties. But perhaps uh, men think of it a little differently. They look at sex more like a need or a release of some kind. I, I see that there is a, such a huge disconnect uh, sexually and emotionally between what women want and what men want. Maybe it's always been that way, but it was never articulated from a woman's point of view because she simply didn't feel confident enough to talk about it. And even with her husband, she wouldn't have ever said, no, I'm sorry, I don't, I just don't feel up to it. It was unthinkable in most traditional homes. And even today, most traditional conventional families, uh, a woman just submits. But the lockdown has also given women uh, quite a license to articulate their own frustrations, their own unhappiness, their own uh, discontent with what was maybe 
projected as the perfect life, but is anything but. And it's important that uh, they are free to even say that you know, my life is really far from perfect. And I do mm -hmm. feel upset about X, Y, and Z things in my domestic life. And the lockdown has been in many ways like a safety valve where they have been uh, given some kind of a permission to, mm -hmm. to table their anxieties or they're not waiting for permission anymore. They're just going ahead and saying <laughs> it out loud as they should have many years ago. Hmm. And and there's some bits which made me laugh, like you know your description. I think it's the first story you des describe that woman who kills herself as uh, the it girl of eating out. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. Mm. So there's this sort of like satire on you know uh, this whole thing about the Instagram uh, uh, foodies and the influencer yes. and, and the whole collapse of that. So. Yes, but, you know, I see uh, so much collateral damage during the lockdown mm -hmm. with so many people who are mm -hmm. just uh, at a loss. They're really at sea because their imagined selves and their lockdown selves, there is uh, absolutely no meeting ground. And what they've projected yes. on social media and what they're now coping with, again, there's such a huge gap. And that has to be filled somehow by either making banana bread or Dalgona coffees or whatever it is. And, uh, I, you know, I can even understand that because you need to hang on to something that gives you some sense of comfort. And if mm -hmm. making banana bread gives you that focus in life and it makes you feel you've achieved something because you've made the best banana bread on earth, well, mm -hmm. anything to keep sane is what I feel without any judgments, you know, whatever works. Yeah. We're taking a short break now. When we come back, the irrepressible Shobha Day will tell me more about lockdown liaisons and also about how she deals with virulent trolls on Twitter and their rape threats. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. 